Welcome to The Open Door Policy. Each week on this podcast, we sit down with a different guest and talk about a letter. Archbishop Vigneron's Unleash the Gospel pastoral letter. Let's do it. Let's talk about it. Be about it. Each guest we have on this show we think is living it out in a new and exciting way. This week we have a great guest for you, Monsignor Dan Trapp. Monsignor Trapp is the pastor of St. Augustine and Monica Parish on the east side of Detroit. And he's also the head of spiritual direction for the uh, for Sacred Heart Major Seminary. Monsignor Trapp has been doing great work to share the gospel with people in his parish and to help form future priests. So I'm looking forward to our conversation with him. Hey, Monsignor Trapp. Hey, hey, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Great. Are you ready for rapid fire questions? I'm ready. Here we go. What did you eat for breakfast? Uh, I had a wonderful blueberry muffin. It was really good. What was something you remember from your grandparents' house? They had a picture of Our Lady over the mantle. What is your favorite band? Oh, this is... <laughs> it's hard. Fleetwood Mac comes to mind right away. Morning or night person? Morning. When you were a child, what was your dream job? Being the president or being a priest. Oh. I kind of went back and forth. <laughs> All right, Monsignor, I'm going to take the next set here. All right. Uh, what is one thing that annoys you? <laughs> Questions like that, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing that annoys me, I suppose when I perceive that somebody is um, kind of showing off their stuff. Mm. Uh, you've just won a road trip for the weekend. Where are you going to go and who are you going to take with you? Uh, Washington, D.C., a classmate and good friend of mine. Uh, Name something that's been on your mind lately. What have you been thinking about lately? The parish and how do we we make everyone know they're not a bystander in this this new venture we're on? Hmm. What is your happy place? I suppose a holy hour in the morning. What's the last photo you took? Last photo would have been of a maple tree up north. Uh, what would you tell middle school Monsignor Dan Trapp? <laughs> it gets better. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, your house is on fire, pets, every, everyone is safe, all that. Uh, what are three things you would take with you before you leave? Uh, I have a rosary that uh, someone gave me that uh, their father carried in a concentration camp in Poland. That would certainly be one. Uh, and two pictures, uh, one of St. Peter, one of St. Paul, that I got when I was in the seminary. Who in your family has had an impact on your faith life? Oh, my parents, for sure. Yeah, and one of my sisters in particular who's come back to the church more recently. Who's one person uh, in your life who you've met who's really sold out for Jesus? Sister Mary Finn. And what's an award you won as a kid in middle school or in high school? You probably don't know this. <laughs> it's very exciting. That's why we're I, asking. <laughs> I don't like to brag, but I won the Pinewood Derby fourth grade. Get it done! Pinewood Derby, all right. Get it done. Well, when was the last time that you cried? Ah. Uh, you know, probably when I was praying a while ago. I cried from time to time with that. And what is your favorite movie of all time? Keys of the Kingdom. Take us to Father Chisholm, please. I am Mother Maria Veronica. But, but you weren't expected until tomorrow. Well, uh, 
Are we to trudge back through that miserable ship and wait? Uh, I, I'm Father Chisholm. If you weren't in this line of work, where would you be? You know, uh, I, for years I thought I would be a lawyer and have seven kids like my folks had. Yeah. Um, if your life was made into a movie, what genre would it be? And who would play you? Comedy horror film. <laughs> 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 who would play me? Yeah, nobody comes to mind right now. Okay, you could just play yourself, I guess. Yeah. Um, starring. Are you a dog or a cat person? Dog. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Me too. Okay. We done. You made it. Alrighty. You did yeah. it. Thank you. Twenty questions. Great. I'm so glad you asked about the Pinewood Derby. <laughs> yeah. I don't get to tell many people tell us, that like, story. Tell us a little bit about that though. Like, like it was the fastest, or it was like the best painted. Everything. Okay. All around. It was just they all were around. in awe. Awesome. And if they weren't in awe, they were stupid. Yeah. That, that's all I can tell you. Did it have like a name? I feel like my brothers did this. And it was like they would paint like the flames on the side. You could if you're going for flash. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I really had a great time in fourth grade with my little car. Was that a Boy Scout uh, project? Or was Cub it Scout. Cub yeah, Scouts? Yeah. All right. But then you were thinking. You'd be a president or the priest. Yeah, actually, a president or a pope. Oh, <laughs> I was trying to be modest. Get it. <laughs> go big or go home, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did you tell your parents this? No, they wouldn't have understood. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't realize the greatness that they had in their home. So accurate. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, one of the questions we ask is, like, who, who have you met who's really sold out for Jesus? You mentioned someone that I think yeah. a lot of people in the archdiocese yeah. would know, Sister Mary Finn. Can you just talk about what what in her inspires you about following Christ? Um, I suppose it goes back to when I first met Sister Mary. That was 1974 or so. I came here on a, a live-in weekend um, when I was still in high school. Came to the seminary. I came to the seminary, yeah. And... Um, met Sister Mary, and she just seemed very free and obviously close to Jesus. So that was very attractive. Yeah. And, and she's, now, she yeah, still has that, Yeah, right? and spoiler alert, she attends your parish now. She does, yeah. Sister Mary's a, a member there. Yeah, yeah, small Catholic world, which is cool. And you were up north taking pictures of trees? Yeah, sending them to uh, people who live in places other than Michigan who miss <laughs> Michigan. <laughs> yeah. What, was it like a, a maple tree in maple full tree, on, exactly. like, November yeah. splendor, October right. splendor? Yeah, to make them that. feel miserable in the place <laughs> they live. <laughs> did you grow up here? I did. Mm-hmm. Other than being away at school, I've always lived in Michigan. And so, and your grandparents, too, with the Mary over the mantle? Yeah. And yeah. what was that, a specific Blessed Mother? Like uh, Yeah, it was, uh, they got it as a wedding gift oh, uh, wow. in the 1920s, and it was uh, a Leonardo da Vinci image of our lady just beautiful yeah wow i know my my folks had a uh uh madonna della strada our oh, lady yeah. of the streets uh-huh. in our home and when, as a kid i thought like every catholic had to have that picture <laughs> in their home <laughs> i remember going to a friend's house and they didn't have it and like, you're like what, what? what do it dude? Yeah. <laughs> you what kind of odd offshoot of of christianity is this home that's yeah. cool so that it's Danielle's question that okay. she picked for uh, when was the last time you cried. But uh, uh-huh. so I take no responsibility for that question. <laughs> but I think it's interesting and insightful. And I think another thing that's interesting to see too is how many people say that um, their their happy place is their adoration hour. Uh, like that's okay. that's been a common theme for folks. Do you pray at the church or here at the seminary? You know, uh, depending on the day, I try to start the day with the holy hour mm-hmm. just because I need it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Accurate.
So, Monsignor, we'd love to hear about like your relationship with Christ and mm. and how that's developed and flourished and, and how you came to be a disciple of Jesus. Share the truth with us, friend. Hey, you know, I, I was thinking about it, and I think I've always known Jesus, hmm. you know, and that's not to say I was a, always a good disciple either or even recognizable, you know, by my behavior as a good disciple. Uh, part of that was because in the time I grew up in the neighborhood I grew up, everyone around was Catholic. My family were all church-going Catholics. And my folks really were exemplary Catholics um, in the sense that they were relaxed with their faith and also real clear about it, you know, just part of the, the fabric of life. And so I remember, like, we did May altars uh, when we were kids. And What is that? Um, during the month of May, we would make a little altar in the house with a statue of Our Lady and put flowers and that kind of stuff in front. It just, like, you know, doesn't everybody do this? Mm-hmm. Um and uh, and then I suppose another really important thing, uh, I went to Divine Child for uh, junior high and In Dearborn, high school. right? In Dearborn, right. And we went on retreats. And I know I took everything for completely for granted at the time, but the retreats were really life-changing. Hmm. Wow. And there was one teacher in particular um, who uh, she caught me cheating on something. Hmm. And uh, I thought there was no, I didn't think there was anything wrong with it, but... When um, when she talked to me about it, she cried because she said, you don't see anything wrong with this, do you? Wow. And she was so disappointed that that opened up in me that I'd done something to disappoint somebody who was very admirable. Mm-hmm. And so that really, that was a life-changing experience for me. So I think, again, the kind of people I was around, they just uh, exhibited Christ, you know, in a way that, yeah. I, that, that seemed very normal. Yeah. And you're thinking about being pope or president at this time? <laughs> you know, I, probably everything, you know, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, dreams of glory when uh, you're younger. At least I had dreams of glory. And uh, eventually I would go back and forth, you know, did I want to be mm. married? And uh, there were some really good priests at Divine Child uh, when I was a kid. And uh, I admired the church. And eventually I decided to go on the seminary. But I didn't want to go right in to the seminary after being at a Catholic high school. So I went to University of Michigan for a couple of years. Okay. Go blue. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you were, um, so you were thinking about it through high school. I was. Yeah. Did, did you have contemporaries thinking about it as well? Classmates or was it kind of like you're the only one in your world considering yeah. this? You know, I told a couple of friends and, uh, there was a girl I was going out with at the time, and she was thinking of becoming a nun. So that <laughs> Is was kind of no. Okay. No, she became a mother of five kids, um, but she was one of the ones who could understand, yeah. you know, my dreams. What did you study at U of M? You know, I uh, was interested in history, but I took classes that would prepare me to come into Sacred Heart. Okay. The seminary. Yeah. And so I did uh, all of my Latin at University uh-huh. of Michigan. Wow. Yeah, and so my philosophy. So you went to a secular school to study Latin before you entered the seminary. Yes. Typical path <laughs> to the priesthood for everyone, right? And were you, were you um, like prayerfully discerning the priesthood that whole time, or were you still kind of like, I could also be president one day? You know, by the time I was in college, uh, when I had my head, you know, screwed on <laughs> tightly. I was, I was discerning, but I was also, you know, not always following the Lord in, in my actions, too. And with time, again, going on retreats was very helpful. And what was your life of faith looking like at this time? Like, where was that draw? Yeah, you know, um, I would go to the student chapel at St. Mary's in Ann Arbor, and I would go to St. Thomas Church sometimes. And 
Uh, saw some really good Catholics who were there who were exemplary. I got involved with the Word of God for a while. Oh, yeah. And, uh, but I eventually decided to go to the seminary. Did you, uh, what year did you enter seminary? Uh, started at Sacred Heart in 1978. And what was it like going into seminary in 1978? Uh, you know, I came in thinking all seminarians were probably the same, you know, kind of a cookie cutter. Huh. And that was just a delight to see that there was such a <laughs> variety of individuals. Uh, there were about 50 of us in the entire building, wow. and uh, there was H- very little money. How many are money. here now? I have no idea. Uh, I think about 120 wow. is the number I, yeah. I think. Yeah. So it was kind of smallish. Real small, and parts of the building were rented out because there was, they had to, um, had to make money, so they rented right. out parts of the building, and it wasn't very well maintained. Oh, wow. W- yeah. was, it, was it like a family environment here? Was it not so much yeah, that? It's, what? A, it's a good description. Because there are only 50 of us, it was much more family-like in that sense. Not that we got along <laughs> any better <laughs> right. than most families do. Uh, but we could all fit uh, in the chapel up in the sanctuary area, for example. Yeah, yeah. That's great. And then how long were you at Sacred Heart? You know, I was just here two years. And then, uh, gosh, there were 12 of us in my class that went on to first uh, theology. And I went away, and my other classmates went to St. John's. So you went to Rome? I did. That? Had you been oh, out of the, I didn't know that. Yeah. Had yeah. you been out of the country before? Canada. That, <laughs> that was about <laughs> it. So uh, you you got on a plane, a boat. Sorry for asking that. Yeah, no, we paddled over in our canoes. <laughs> uh, no, we flew from New York, and yeah. uh, there were 50 guys in my class, and... Uh, it was a great experience. And when I finished up there, I figured I'd never go back again. You know, it was a yeah. great experience. But then I eventually did go back and finished up my studies and came back here and been teaching pretty much ever since. What's like the thing in Rome that when you go, spiritual thing, that when you go there, you're like, this is the place. This yeah. is what I need to return not, to. Not the restaurant. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we, I'll also take your restaurant <laughs> recommendations, but um, kind of like, like what, what did you find as like your, your happy place while you were there? You know, when I was there, Pope John Paul II set wow. up a special chapel for Eucharistic adoration. Mm-hmm. You know, there always had been the Blessed Sacrament was reserved, but uh, two is this, sisters. Is this at St. Peter's? Yeah, at St. Peter's. And so I remember that when that was instituted and what a great grace it was to be able to go there. So I always stopped by there. Um, I'm just going to ask you a little bit more about that, if you don't mind. Was it. Sure. Uh, was it awesome being in Rome? Was it hard being away from your family? Was it like things in the church were kind of confusing or different at the time, or was it pretty peaceful? You know, what, what was your experience? Uh, probably all of the above yeah. in, in some ways. Um, so it was very exciting to be there, and then I missed family, of course. Um, had relatives die when I was over there, and mm. communication was nothing then like it is now, so it was much harder to keep in touch with people. You couldn't do a podcast with people while you were over there. Yeah, back home, there right? was one phone on the entire <laughs> floor, so we shared that among us. Yeah. yeah, but it was good. You know, I as far as the the church, um, I think you know when you're when you're young at that point, the church is a church as you know it. So yeah. um, there are a lot of very saintly people around, and a lot of people um, who were difficult to be around. But yeah. And I'm going to ask you a question here that we didn't prepare. Uh, sure. Just kind of throw it out there. What's been your favorite assignment as a priest? Oh, You've been ordained sorry. for? 33 years. 33 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is your Jesus year of yeah. being a priest. Wow. Yeah. You know, I've taught at the seminary full and part-time for 30 years. Yeah. So I'm very wow. used to that, you know. Um, I've been very fortunate because I've been in the African-American community over 
23 years now. Yeah. And then I was in an African-American parish in southwest Detroit. Uh, I was pastor of a Hungarian parish. I learned my parts of the Mass in Hungarian. I was in a Slovak parish, did the same thing, and I was Lithuanian parish as administrator. So I, I was able to learn all, bits and pieces of all these languages and cultures. So it's really been a great blessing. That's pretty diverse. Yeah, yeah. that is. Yeah. That's awesome. Where were you in Southwest? Uh, all Saints, St. Oh, Andrew yeah. and Benedict, and Holy Cross. Oh, wow. Yeah, those are those are really beautiful things. So um, maybe just like a little bit of jump back, too. Because sure. you said that your parents have been a large part of your faith life. So yeah. were they also, so I assume that means childhood, but then also into these young adult years and as you're being ordained a priest and all this stuff. Can you speak a little bit to that? Sure. Um, they were, it shifted when I, the, uh, was ordained and that my family all had moved out of Detroit by that point. Oh, okay. And then uh, both of my folks died when they were in their 60s. Hmm. So their example was different. You know, I wasn't right here with them. But my mother had Alzheimer's for the last 15 years of her life. So uh, I learned a lot about prayer, being with her, you know. Um, uh, Jesus doesn't often say a whole lot in the Blessed Sacrament. She wasn't saying much the last mm. years of her life, but it's him, it's her. And so there are things I learned just being with her. Yeah. In 33 years of priesthood, just yeah. looking back on your time in seminary and as a kid, thinking about being a priest, what's been um, what's been one of the greatest surprises or joys of your priesthood uh, as you think through the years God has given you and many more to come, but through 33 years as a priest? You know, uh, when Jesus says, see, I make all things new, mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing that doesn't get tired when you've done it 3,000 times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that he makes things new again and again, you know. Uh, that, to me, has just been a magnificent thing. Yeah. I remember a, a bishop in a neighboring diocese once said to his priest, I'm worried some of you are going to burn out. I'm more worried some of you are never going to catch on fire. Huh. Yeah. So I think, you know, you go through times when it's heavier, and then to see how the Lord does make it new again, I mean, that's incredible to me. Amen. And at these parishes where, like, you know, you mentioned All Saints and Holy Cross Hungarian, if if you were to hope that those congregations would remember one message that you said, what would you hope was their takeaway from what you taught? Jesus is Lord, and he's in the Eucharist, and he speaks to us at Mass. Because I think that's that's what changes us, right? I mean... Like, I think the whole key to the new evangelization is the Eucharist, because mm-hmm. it's where we encounter Jesus, and that's not just something that I've read about. I really have experienced it over and over again. I think um, being in an African-American Catholic community is a real blessing, because there's a, a great reverence there, and there's a joy at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes reverence is very quiet and somber, and it can be that way, but to see people's um, Experience of Jesus as Lord in the Eucharistic celebration is a great thing. So that's something that you've kind of learned from your congregation. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I yeah, Eucharistic adoration attracts me a lot. Yeah. But I think the celebration of the Eucharist as a place of encountering Christ is something that I've learned and seen more as a priest than I knew beforehand. Do you think it's hard for people to encounter Jesus in the Eucharist and Mass that— I guess what I'm asking is mm. for the, for the mass to be a place of evangelization. Mm. I mean, just now we see so many people who pull away from the mass and who see it as something that's kind of I don't know more ritualistic than 
encounter-based, and, and there's a structure to the Mass, a kind of language and a, a rhythm to it mm. that can be hard for some people. So you're speaking very powerfully about encountering Christ in the Eucharist, in the Mass. Mm. Have you found a way to help people encounter that? I think uh, it, it wouldn't be a way that I've kind of devised, but I've seen. Mm. When people um, see reverence in the Eucharist, as again, in an African-American community, there's a lot of reverence for the Eucharist. There's also a soulfulness in the singing, mm. you know, that the, the songs, um, they are really about the gospel, about yeah. living gospel life out. It's another uh, it's derivative way of the liturgy of the word. You know, yeah. and I think people get that. They, they experience that, especially if it's not done as a show, you know, when it's done to express people's right. relationship with Christ. This is maybe not a real thing, but it's something that I really feel. I feel that when I encounter people who know how to suffer, that's when I encounter people who know how to worship. And it's really so um, where the parish is located is not is not far from like if you're familiar with the riots of 1967, like there were, sure. like it was impacted, but this neighborhood was impacted by it. So it's, it's not an easy neighborhood, but like the worship experience there and the way that people are so prayerful, it's, it's really powerful because I'm like, <laughs> if y'all can say these words, then I can say them too, you mm-hmm. know? So I, I really, in, like, I feel like I've learned a lot from, from being in the parish as well. Yeah. But, you know, one of the things we do is we have, the door-to-door evangelization. We've done this for 20 years or yeah. so. Mm-hmm. And over and over again, the people go out and find Jesus is alive and well mm-hmm. in the homes we visit. You know, people yeah. do know Jesus and evangelize at the liquor stores. A lot of people who hang <laughs> yeah. out at liquor stores, they know Jesus a lot better than some of us coming to talk to them about yes. Jesus. They want to talk about Jesus, but yeah. Jesus gets a lot of people through life. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that cuts through a lot of... Um, kind of the distance that sometimes people in other areas will create between them, themselves and the Lord, I think. Yeah. I think one thing that you kind of touched on that I'd just love to hear you speak a little bit more on is you said that um, when your mother was was struggling with Alzheimer's and you were like, well, she was silent, and sometimes Jesus is silent in the Eucharist. In those seasons when you feel distant from God and you feel like God's not there, um, can you speak to that? Like, what have you learned in those seasons? What would you say to someone if they were in one of those seasons? Yeah. I think uh, St. John the Cross has helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. When St. John says that the deep caverns of feeling once obscure and blind have now been illumined, I think in a way you got to know the inside where it's obscure and blind, mm. and then Jesus has to break through. But you got to be willing to spend some time in the dark. You know? And then you're, you're not afraid of the dark. Mm-hmm. You know? And then you end up being able to see in the dark. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I know uh, you've, you're the uh, head spiritual director for the Theologate here, yeah. graduate uh, students. How long have you been in that position? Uh, since 1995. Okay. Yeah. A few years, 23. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've been helping with spiritual direction at the seminary for mm-hmm. the past couple of years. And I know for me, it's really beautiful to walk with guys on their yeah. way to the priesthood and to see what God is doing in their lives. Yeah. That's a really privileged place. Yeah. And to get to do that for so many years uh, has to be a blessing in your priesthood oh, and in is. your life. It is, yeah. yeah. And I think it, similar to what we were talking about in the parish, you know, it, when you encounter people who are able to talk about and you see the reality of their lives with Christ, you know, that's a great gift. Yeah. You know, it's not just... Superficial stuff is good to, 
in the beginning, but then you got to move deeper. And I think being able to live with people at that level is such a great gift. Amen. Hearing you speak is a great gift. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Let's jump into the Unleash the Gospel letter and great. chat about this a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so something that the letter talks about is a countercultural way of living and unusually gracious hospitality. And you had mentioned um, that you think the Sunday Eucharist calls us to a strikingly countercultural way of living. What do you think about it is strikingly countercultural? Can you just open that up for me a little bit? Sure. I think uh, for the Eucharist, first of all, it's not religious entertainment, and I think that's what a lot of the culture is looking for, hmm. not even knowing it. Yeah. Uh, but this is an encounter with another, um, and because it's a covenantal encounter, the way I look at it is there are six covenantal relationships, right? With the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, with the church that Jesus founded, in our family lives, and with the poor. And in order to live uh, in union with Christ and with God, then we have to be living in these covenantal commitments. And I think the Eucharist does that, uh, puts us in in relationship with everybody. And because it's that, um, it's not just I'm going to get myself a little feel good and then, you know, just a little something that picked me up that, that you know, three words to remember during the week. It can right. be that, but that's not what it is. Yeah. It's not a refueling station for the rest of the week, yeah, right? And, and we can use those metaphors, but when they become um, really expressions of this is me getting what I want hmm. from this experience, then it change, It shifts it from being an interpersonal experience to being um, really a commercial one. What are the best like ways that we can remember what it really is and refocus ourselves? You know, for me, I suppose it's looking at the other people in church. Mm. And when I see so many people who are there, obviously praying, you know, the person with their head bowed down, the people, it's easier as a priest in a way, because in preaching, you see so many people and you can see their faith in their Mm -hmm. face, you know, they're looking for a word. Yeah. You know, when I became a priest, that was one thing that just astounded me about how much my faith was strengthened by the people of God. As a priest, there's a lot of like privilege moments, whether it's in the confessional or in private conversations, but certainly at mass too, when you see the reverence with which people receive the Eucharist or even just kind of, you know, as Monsignor was saying, the faith that is just evident in them at mass is totally inspiring. And it, for me, it makes me want to be a better priest. It says like, these people need a great priest, right? I, I can see they deserve very... somebody better than I <laughs> yeah, right. right now. And it ain't me. So, Lord, <laughs> I'm what they got thing, right yeah. now. Fix me, so, Jesus. make yeah. me a better priest, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the core of what Unleash the Gospel is calling us to, right? To have this missionary conversion in the, on the macro level in the church, uh, you know, in the whole archdiocese, but also that calls for me to have a missionary conversion, each of us, to say, okay, like, Lord, change my heart so that I can be. The missionary, the uh, the steward of the gospel that you want me to be, that you've entrusted to me. Yeah, and I think just the the phrase "the joyful band of missionary disciples," you know, that can be either we're straining real hard to look good for the camera, <laughs> or when we realize we're not joyful, that we come to the Lord and say, "There's something missing here, and I need it from you." And He does supply. Yeah, you know? and He's the one who does make us that way. And I think it's got to be a band. It's got to be a covenantal community together. 
And, and that joy's got to be real, right? Yes. I mean, people will see through, as you're talking about, straining to smile, like, I'm loving this. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> like, that, that's going to be such a veneer that people yeah. will see through. And far from being a conduit to the gospel, it'll be a block because people will think we're fake. And we will be if we're not really rooted in our joy. And then there's also just seeing people who, like you guys say, when they are really walking in faith, even in hard seasons and hard, like that's inspiring too. Isn't it though? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And some people, you know, it's a long time they walk through that and you see they're okay because they've got Jesus with them. Yeah. You know, that helps a lot. How do you, um, like, how do you bring, how do you bring that to your seminarians? You talked a bit about, about the guidepost and marker of repenting and believe, like, what what are the th- what are the takeaways? What should I know here? Repent and believe in the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that. I think it's a, a core part of becoming a, a joyful missionary disciple. That repent. That is, we listen to Jesus, we listen to His Word, and then we change our hearts and we mm-hmm. change our minds. We change the way we act in accordance to that Word, and then He does the change. You know, um, and I think an essential part in the spiritual life, whether it's in the parish or seminary, is us being willing to go to the places where they're dead or there is no life or there's no capacity. And then we open that up to Jesus and he makes it alive again. Hmm. Do you think we do the repent part of that well? Do you think we do it too much or not enough? I mean, I think the Lord leads us and teaches us how to repent. Yeah. Because sometimes we look too much you know, at our weakness, yeah, mm. and we get we're too fascinated with our weakness mm. rather than being fascinated with him. At the church where I work, um, El Dia de los Muertos just passed uh-huh. the Day of the Dead, so yeah. we have our ofrendas out, these memorials. It's a Hispanic parish, and we have like all these groups come through to take a look at them. Mm-hmm. And I had a group of 100 students today from one of the Detroit public schools come through. Okay, and um, they were there, of course, to see the the ofrenda. So there's a hundred like of these beautiful inner city um, high schoolers. And you want to know what they wanted to ask me about? The confessionals. Like every <laughs> single one oh, yeah. asked I me bet. about do it. You, Can they go inside? Do you have sure. those old school confessionals yeah. at St. Anne's with oh, like yeah. the priest in the middle? A and priest there's in two the middle. Sides. There's curtains on the side, a little bit ominous, giant cross, like one singular light bulb. Uh, it yeah. doesn't light up when you kneel down, does it? It's not, it's not like that. Kind I don't of think level. it's that far. But it was really interesting for because I feel like the church where I work is super ornate. There's stuff going on anywhere, everywhere. Um, but to see people be like, I'm really curious about this, this encounter of mercy. Um, I was really touched by that today. Yeah. And I think that that's what we're all looking for. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of vulnerability because we can have the wall up if I don't find that, you know, if I walk into a new church and if they're just judging me, Mm. you know, so that's why we've got to practice that radical hospitality. Yeah. And be clear ourselves that we're here not just because we got our act together, but because Jesus has gotten us. Yeah. What does radical hospitality mean to you? Uh, It means uh, one of the older gentlemen at the parish going up to people during the sign of peace, introducing himself. He recognizes every visitor, uh, giving them a, a medal of Our Lady, Got asking it. them to come I back. have one. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Wait, that. wait. I haven't gotten one yet. <laughs> have you visited St. Augustine Monica? Not recently. Okay. So. Yeah, and people going out of their way to welcome people and not just giving the cold fish handshake. And so. 
Monsignor, how do, as priests, how do we do that? Because yeah. I, I think there'll be a number of priests who will be checking out Open Door Policy, the podcast. Uh, just, yeah, this is where the, the intro music or some music comes in with from Ron. But like, how do, as priests, we practice that radical hospitality? I think seeing what we see, usually we know who are visitors mm. and going out of our way to, to say hello, welcome. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I know attracted you to St. Augustine and Monica, right? Is is kind of the community aspect, Danielle, right? Very much so. Loved the community aspect. But I also, I'll just toot your horn for you, Monsignor Trap. I loved your preaching style because, um, so I work in active ministry and it's really hard. <laughs> it's really, and, and I know you guys are saying, well, it's not a refueling station. But um, I, one thing that I've, I've found myself doing in ministry, especially when things get really hard, is like the people that I know with faith, they'll be like, hey, you know, we'll be small talking. And then I'll just be like, um, can you just um, tell me something about Jesus? Because it's like, I just need to be reminded of like who Jesus is. And I, I feel like you you bring that you're like this is this is what's going on and i'm always challenged and i'm always pushed which i really like i really like being pushed and and being told like the standard is higher than what you're hitting kid <laughs> so <laughs> i appreciate that do, do you uh is it important for you danielle to uh, uh to go to a parish that you don't work at to be a member of a parish where you're not working. So when you go there on Sunday, it's not like, this hey, is like, by the way. This is like a controversial thing. See, that's now what I'm we're asking bringing you. in the controversy right here. So, um, oh, man, what if my boss is listening? <laughs> so, uh, Just bring this is, it. Yeah, so the thing is, is like there's, there's pros and cons in this conversation, right? And I, I just know for me, if I go to the church where I work, I, I'll be I'll be working. People come up to me and be like, hey, Danielle, I wanted to tell you that I saw this thing. I wanted to talk to you about it. And I'll be like, thanks, friend. I'm here to pray. Can you just contact me in my office hours? And they'll be like, well, I'm busy during the week. So, so I find for myself that it's nice to get away and be somewhere where people don't know me. <laughs> in fact, people think I'm a visitor a lot at St. Augustine, Monica. <laughs> And one time, um, that one of my friends came, and it was her birthday, and she stood up at birthday time, and like everyone wished me a happy birthday. I'm like, that's not me. I go here. You guys have seen me before. <laughs> so, um, so and I'm like, so it's like kind of like delightfully unknown there, which I really appreciate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think people come to parishes with all sorts of different needs. Yeah, and and there have to be different kind of communities within the community. That's one yeah. of the things I'm really clear about. Um, and it's helpful to have people for whom this is just a Sunday mass place. When I know, and that's a great thing about being a pastor of a small parish, you get to know people. Yeah. You know? yeah. And if you know they're living their life out, like this Sunday we're going to be talking about time, talent, treasure, they are serving outside the parish community. And that's great. It doesn't yeah. have to be in the parish ministries. Yeah. So just kind of like thinking about the big picture of Unleash the Gospel, Synod 16. Were you a member of the Synod? I was, yeah. yeah. Uh, was there anything in the process of the Synod leading up to the pastoral letter that you found particularly hopeful uh, as you went through it? Yeah. Um, when I was ordained in 1984, there was a, a big push for the CSA because that was relatively new. And I remember thinking, I hope someday we do something on evangelization <laughs> with as much effort. Hmm. And it was... Not criticism because we needed to do the CSA the way we did, but this was it for me. This was the church saying this is really important. 
You just had to wait 32 years. Which was how important my view was. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think a lot of places do wonderful evangelization. Yeah. But this helped put the the message on the forefront for us. And what was the message that you that you received maybe like a word of encouragement during the synod that you were like, this is hitting the mark. I think it was seeing the archbishop's clarity Hmm. about the Holy Spirit guiding him and guiding us. That was just such a wonderful thing. So, and you've known him for a long time, right? And one of the beautiful things, one of the confirming things to me is just that this innovation and kind of outward focus um the archbishop's much more introverted personality wise and he'll say that publicly right yeah so to see him say this is really where we need to be going is confirmation to me that uh the holy spirit is moving him and i think moving a lot of people in our archdiocese to say um our church needs to be much more mission focused and outward focused so that that's totally encouraging, just on a natural level for me, uh, but also on a supernatural level to say, uh, it gives me a lot of confidence that this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Did you have a thing, like a something from the the synod? Were you at the synod? Yes. I was. Were you, were yeah, you the secretary? I, I was like a wallflower. Yeah, I was like a wallflower. I was already told I was going to have my job as the director of evangelization, really? catechesis, and schools, but it wasn't public yet, so... It was one of these weird, like, like I was there asking questions, mm. and yeah, yeah. I didn't have an open-door policy with that. <laughs> did time. you, so. did, was there, like, a takeaway that you, because, I mean, like, it's just an interesting lens, right? Because yeah. you would have been a priest for... 2011, so you been, like, was in 16, fifth, five years. Yeah, five years yeah. at that point, so it's kind of like, and... You had so you'd been associate pastor somewhere, but then Saint out, Joseph Lake Orion, outside Saint of Joseph the Worker, Lake Saint Orion. Joseph the Worker of Saint of Lake Orion. Was there something that you took away from that synod? Like, yeah, this is feeling good. Yeah, I'll give you two things. Yeah. One was being part of the Come Encounter Christ missions leading yeah. up to oh it. Oh my gosh, this and, is an aside. Can yeah, I just take it? That's the first time I saw Monsignor Dan Tripp. I went to the Come Encounter Christ at Saint, Saint Matthew. That was wonderful. yeah, and I was there, and I was like. Everything about this is perfect, and they recorded that. This is this is a spoiler alert. So if anyone wants to go on YouTube and watch that homily like twenty five more times, I've already done it. So anyway, that's just my... type in Monsignor Dan Trap awesome uh, yeah. homily, <laughs> yeah. and it's the forty first <laughs> one on the list there, right? Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Lights are beautiful too. Okay, cool. So yeah, Common so, Counter Christ, so you were doing part of the Common Counter Christ, and just seeing this focus that was developing around uh, this paradigm of encounter, grow, and witness, and coming. Uh, all throughout the archdiocese at different parishes, different, you know, ecclesiological kind of viewpoints, and uh, having a clear focus on this is going to be our language in the archdiocese around encounter, grow, and witness. That was just really, um, it was a powerful to me to be part of that and for us to be growing a hmm. common vocabulary around discipleship. And so that makes it into, you know, marker or guidepost nine, I think, encounter, grow, and witness, what it means for us to be disciples. So that was one of them leading up was uh, the Come Encounter Christ uh, missions. And the second one for me was being at the Synod and just seeing people from like mm-hmm. all these walks of life, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, really. Seeing a lot of my brother priests, but seeing a ton of lay people, young people, people from the city, the Hispanic community, from the burbs, from all different parishes coming together. 
and how like there was such a spirit of hope in those days where you were mm-hmm. there, right? I was. Danielle? So, um, yeah, I was, I was on the secretariat for the Synod. Um, yeah. and so you were a big shot. Um, I, that's a little far, I would say, <laughs> you were a medium but shot. I was, <laughs> yeah, low to medium at best, but I, I guess I would kind of building off of yours. There were kind of two things that I really remember as well. And one is, so the secretariat would meet once a once a week on Mondays for, and we met for like a year and a half. Um, by the way, the secretariat we like planned the hotel and stuff. Like mm-hmm. it, it wasn't sounds exciting. Oh man, let me tell you, and like you know the schedule and and the, this kind of stuff. Um, but at that time in my life, I had recently I had a relationship that just like exploded in a million shards of glass and i was in a tough place professionally i was in a tough place spiritually we just had to talk uh one of the homilies from two weeks ago monsignor dan trap was like well when you're in a point of desolation look back and see if there was an act of selfishness that started it i was like what's that's a there? good impersonation of monsignor <laughs> so then i was so i was in this tough place and i couldn't feel god anywhere but i would remember when i went to this secretariat meeting i was like I know that God is moving in this place. And I, I know that the Holy Spirit is moving in my church, even though where I am right now is so hard. And I, and I really, you know, I felt like I felt like Elizabeth from the Bible because I love her story because it's like the um, all of Israel was praying for a Messiah. All of Israel was mm. praying for this thing. And she was praying for a child. And God answered this prayer on the very, very large scale, but also on the very, very personal scale. And I, I really felt that as like the, the Holy Spirit was working through the entire archdiocese, but like also in this very kind way that mm. I got called into these meetings on Monday where I would just like, it was like the only place all week long where I was like, the Holy Spirit is still alive. Like the church mm. is still good. So that was really cool. And then on, on the day of the secretariat, um, even though it was on this on the day of the synod, there was an opening mass, and like I'm registering people, helping people get ready, and uh, one of the guys, Dan McAfee, comes up to me and he's like, "Hi, can you be the lector for today's mass?" And I was like, "Yeah, that's fine." And I was like, is it the one in the Magnificat? Because I already read it. And he's like, it's not. Also, it's misprinted in the worship aids. <laughs> <laughs> Good so luck. I was, I know. So I was like, I'm just going to look like a fool in front of all of these people who are like, did she just pick something out of the Bible to read? <laughs> so I was sitting there. I was going to go up to the front. And um, I turned to the side. And there'll be some. And sitting down the, were these priests, brother priests of yours, Father Brian Meldrum. I want to say Father Mario Amore, and between them was Father Edward Proust. Mm. And he, father, and then above them on the balcony, because like other people could come, my parents came. And oh, nice. my parents left the faith when they were young adults. And Father Proust brought my mother back to the church. Mm. And then my parents met at that church, Shrine Little Flower, and my mm. parents got married at the church. They're right there. And my father sees uh, looking I, at a I'm picture of them. I'm looking at it they're, in they're the, right uh, there. That's my mom. Yeah, page 11. Yeah, page 11. My mom's <laughs> on the very, very right-hand side. And so, um, and the, the greatest gifts I have, of course, are my faith and my family. And so it was like I saw the life of the church because I saw this priest who had blessed my parents and brought their their marriage. And then these other priests who were like, because the other priests, they must have only been ordained like two years at that point. So it's yeah. really cool to see like the life of the archdiocese and the faith in my life as Father well. Father Proust has been ordained for 
50 years probably, yeah, right? Yeah, I think at least. Yeah. Yeah. M- Monsignor, before we let you go, I want to ask you, yeah. uh, I'm looking at these good and bad habits in the letter, mm-hmm. and I'm looking at particularly the bad habits. And as uh, a man who's a pastor, a spiritual director, what would you say to someone in the church who's struggling with these bad habits of a worldly notion of the church, spiritual lethargy, status quo mentality, fear, or a complaining attitude? What would you say to help them move beyond that? I'd say that they're in the document because everyone experiences them sometimes. Yeah. And that, um, and that again, because we experience them, uh, you don't get a medal, you don't get to quit. <laughs> You know, that <laughs> is really that was that was so good. But it's it's part of following Jesus when He allows us to experience these things, because when we go experience them and then we go through it with the Lord, then we're much less likely to get on a high horse with other people. Then we can give that kind of hospitality that we all want to be able to give. Mm-hmm. But if we're feeling too full of ourselves, we're we're not able to. You yeah. know, we can do maybe a a nice. Facsimile, facsimile thereof, but it's it's going through those things that they become the doorway through which the good habits come. Yeah, amen. Before before we let you go, last thing, anything, any prayer, any other word you want to share with us uh, today? Just um, the the Jesus prayer, Jesus Christ, Son of the Living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Um, that's the core when we can know ourselves as sinners, but then Jesus loves us. We ask that mercy. It's always infallibly given. Amen. That's it. Thanks. It's been awesome uh, talking with you, being with you, Monsignor. Thank you. And you too, uh, thanks Steve for Daniel. coming by. Total grace. Thank you, friend. Thanks. You don't get a medal and you don't get to quit. I love Monsignor Trapp's approach to the challenges in the spiritual life and Monsignor Trapp's uh, wisdom that he got to share with us. I'm so grateful he was on our podcast and can't wait to see the ways God continues to bless his ministry. On our next episode, we double the fun. We'll talk to two people, a couple, the Ponces, Kelly and Ariel, and see how they as a family are living Unleash the Gospel. Be sure to subscribe and like us on iTunes and to bring your friends along for the ride. And if the Holy Spirit has inspired you while listening today, be sure to pass this episode along to someone else who might enjoy it. Open Door Policy was recorded and produced at Sacred Heart Major Seminary for the Archdiocese of Detroit by Ron Pangborn. And even though he loves to do this... There's nothing that doesn't get tired when you've done it 3,000 times. I'm Father Steve Polis with Danielle Center. And this has been another episode of Open Door Policy. Open Door Policy.